got a, excuse me one second, I forgot a little, might help to have my Bible with me. <laughs> okay, here we go. All right. Okay, everyone. So this morning, we're continuing our series in the book of Acts. So if you want to prepare in advance, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2. <sighs> got a little winded on that one. <laughs> Acts chapter 2. Now, last week, last week we saw 3,000 Jews who were baptized after the preaching of Peter at Pentecost. After the falling of the Holy Spirit upon the church. And so now, the blueprint, the organization, the model of the church. You know, today in the 21st century, in America today, there are over 400,000 churches. Wow, that's a lot, isn't it? 1,300 of them are what's defined as mega churches. That's churches that have 2,000 people or more. Okay, we're not quite there yet. <laughs> the mega church movement began, actually began in a suburb of Chicago. In 1975, the modern megachurch movement. Now, Bill Heibel started what's called Willow Creek Community Church uh, in that suburb, in that movie theater. And he writes in his book, this, is, this, is, this church is called the model of the megachurch movement. Matter of fact, the, the Christianity Today, the magazine Christianity Today say, says that it is the it is the prototype, uh, undisputed prototype of the modern megachurch movement. And so Will, Bill Hybels writes about how it all began in his book, Courageous Leadership. And he says this. He says, in the early 70s, I was a college student taking a, a required course in New Testament studies to complete my major. He said, my way of thinking about this class was that it was going to be a guaranteed brain-numbing boring. He says, I was sure the only challenge this class was going to give me is a challenge to stay awake. <laughs> he, says, <laughs> he says, as I, he says, as I staked out my usual claim to a back door, a back row seat, and assumed a comfortable slouch, legs extended, arms folded, I had no idea that a spiritual ambush awaited me. Toward the end of this lecture, just when I thought it was time to pack up and go home, the professor, Dr. Gilbert Belazakian, decided he wasn't quite finished for the day. So closing his notes, he stepped out from behind the lectern and he bared his soul to a room full of unsuspecting 20-year-olds. Students, he said, there was once a community of believers who were so totally devoted to God that their life together was charged with the Spirit's power. In, the, in that band of Christ's followers, believers loved each other with a radical kind of love. They took off their masks and shared their lives with one another. They laughed and cried and prayed and sang and served together as an authentic Christian fellowship. 
Those who had more shared freely with those who had less. Until the socioeconomic barriers melted away. People related together in ways that bridged gender and racial chasms and celebrated cultural differences. Acts 2 tells us that this community of believers, this church, offered unbelievers a vision, a vision of life that was so beautiful, it took their breath away. It was so bold, so creative, so dynamic that they couldn't resist it. And in verse 47, the Bible says, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Dr. Belazakian, uh, Bill, Bill Hybels goes on to say this, Dr. Belazakian's unscripted words were as, uh, um, as much a lament, in other words, a sadness, as they were a dream. They were a sad, a sad longing for the restoration of the first century church. I had never imagined, Bill Hybels said, a more compelling vision. In fact, that day, I didn't just see the vision, I was seized by the vision. Suddenly, there were tears in my eyes and a responsive cord rising in my soul. Where, I wondered, had that beauty gone? Why was the power not evident in the contemporary church? Would the Christian community ever see that potential realized again? We're going to read in just a moment that scripture that Dr. Balazakian is talking about. It's in Acts. Acts chapter 2, if you're ready, if you're ready, we'll go ahead and read that. So I'm going to ask you, if you're able and willing, if you'll stand with me, and we'll turn together and read that scripture that, 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 that Dr. Belzakian was speaking of. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Acts 2, 42 to 47 says this. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. This, this is the model of how Jesus wants his church to function. This is the first picture God's Word gives us of Christians, Christians organizing as a believer. It's this. It's the first picture of spirit-led, spirit-filled believers in Christ operating as a body of Christ. And for us today, it is the model the model of a healthy church. It is a prototype. It's the model of a healthy church. It's a prototype. As, as
as I said, Christianity Today said that Bill Hybels Church was a prototype, undisputed prototype of the mega modern church movement. It is today one of the largest churches in America, 24,000 in attendance. But it all started in the movie theater. Hybels, Hybels did this. He, 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 he began renting a movie theater on Sunday mornings to house his dream. That's where the church started. And his vision for this church came from the scriptures we just read. Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. This is a model of a healthy church. And from the scriptures, these scriptures, we're going to see three characteristics. Three characteristics of a healthy church, all right? So as we begin, the first characteristic of a healthy church is this. A healthy church is a devoted church. It's a devoted church. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They were devoted. These were things they devoted themselves to. Now, I appreciate how God's Word gives us a simple list here, doesn't it? A simple list of the things they were devoted to. Now, the word devoted there literally means endure. Matter of fact, the Amplified Version says it translates it this way. They steadfastly persevered, devoting themselves. They persevered in it. This isn't something they just said, well, we'll check it out for a while, then we'll move on. They were dedicated, devoted to these things as believers in Jesus Christ. It's the same word, the word devoted, the same word used in Acts 1.14. As we saw a couple of weeks ago when they were in prayer, 120 of them were in prayer in the upper room. And it says, and it says in the New American Standard Bible, it says it this way. They were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Devotion. Same word being used. Dedication. These believers of this model church were devoting themselves to what? The apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Those four things, and we'll look at them one at a time briefly. Those four things. Now, the first thing is this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That is the teaching of the 12 apostles that Jesus taught. And the 12 apostles were teaching what Jesus had taught them. So, listen to this now. Five of those apostles wrote books in the New Testament. So, what, they, what we have in our Bible today is what they were being taught. And it's centered upon the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus taught about himself. He taught about the gospel, and he taught about growing as a Christian, <clears throat> as a believer in Jesus Christ, growing in Christ. So these believers, these believers were listening, who were listening they had already submitted to the first part of the Great Commission, the commandment Jesus gave in his Great Commission. You remember the Great Commission? Go into all nations, making disciples, baptizing them. Well, 3,000 of them just got baptized. So they had already fulfilled that first part of the Great Commission. But now they were fulfilling the second part. What is the second part of the Great Commission? Teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. See, this is the all that I commanded you part. And the teaching them to obey part, isn't that, isn't that what Christianity is about? Learning to obey 
Jesus Christ. So they were all together learning from the apostles. Learning from the apostles. So the first thing the, the, the believers were doing, they were devoting themselves to the teaching of the apostles. The second thing. The second thing is they were devoting themselves to fellowship. Now the word fellowship in the Greek, many of you are going to know this name. It's the name of the class Jesus, uh, Joe teaches on Wednesday morning, koinonia. Koinonia means fellowship. And uh, the root meaning of koinonia is common. It comes from a, a root word koine, which means common. And if you look with me at verse 44, it says, all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They had everything in common. They had their belief in Jesus Christ in common. They were all baptized by the Holy Spirit in common. They were all members of the forever family of God in common. And they were brothers and sisters in Christ in common. There was a unity in their fellowship. There was a unity, a unity because they were learning together, they were fellowshipping together, and they were fellowshipping with Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible uses that same word koinonia to speak about our fellowship with Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, it says it like this. The Apostle Paul writing, and he says this. He says, God has brought us into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Same word, koinonia. We share with Jesus. We, we, we share with Christ. We share a communion with Christ. We share, we share a participation with Christ in the things that his spirit gives us. Koinonia, fellowship. And then third, they were devoting themselves to the breaking of bread. To the breaking of the breaking of bread is related to fellowship. Verse 46, second part of verse 46. It says, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. What does it mean, breaking of bread? What is it speaking about? It's speaking about an intimate friendship, an intimate fellowship, sharing together in their home. You know, breaking bread is a universal symbol of having intimate friendship and intimate fellowship. Breaking bread. I love it when our church breaks bread together. When we have our times where we eat together at our potluck, at our barbecues. Incidentally, I want to give a shout out to Brother Greg, Deacon Greg. He did a beautiful, beautiful barbecue chicken uh, yesterday. He made for us uh, after the uh, uh, celebration of life service for, Dor for Carol's uh, daughter, Doreen. And not only did he do the barbecue chicken, but he officiated the service. So he did it all. So thank you, Brother Greg. Thank you. Uh, when we're eating together, fellowshiping together, when we meet together after service in our welcome center, we're sharing together. See, eating together, sharing together. God, eating together is a gift that God gives us so we can share together. We can share together. This is what the believers were doing in Acts 2. They were breaking bread together. Together, eating together. You know, Jesus said it this way. Jesus also talked about eating together with him. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. What's he speaking about? Intimate fellowship. He's talking about those who have repented, those who have accepted him as Lord. Intimate fellowship, intimate friendship with Jesus Christ. Koinonia. Breaking of bread. So, so then, the, the, Jesus, Jesus is the head of the body, his church. And for his church, his body, to be healthy, the church has to be devoted. It has to be a devoted church, devoted to, to the teachings of Jesus, devoted to the fellowship of, uh, in Christ, and devoted to breaking of bread. So the healthy church, the first characteristic of a healthy church is a devoted church, number two. The second characteristic of a healthy church is a worshiping church. Now you say, well, wait a minute, what about the praying? Well, we'll come, we're getting to that. Uh, the other thing, the other thing that believers are to be committed to, part to participating and practicing in is prayer. Prayer is worship. Prayer is uh, acknowledging your dependence upon the God that you worship. Prayer. Prayer is going to God, recognizing His power and His wisdom to help. Prayer. Prayer is praising God for His goodness. Practicing prayer. Believers in, the, in, in this model church, this first century model church, committed themselves to the practice of prayer. Now, there were still Jews. Let's get that straight. There were still Jews. All the original apostles were Jews. So they, they still went to the temple during the hours of prayer. Let's pick it up, verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple. They were still going to the temple. What were they doing when they went to the temple? They were praising God. Why? Because the Messiah had come. And his, and his name is Jesus. God had given them a new understanding. They came to know God through Jesus Christ in a way they had never known before. Through Jesus Christ, and they were praising God in the temple. Uh, God made them know himself, and they were praising. Look, look at verse 47, and verse 47 says this. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. This was a church of praise. This was a church, uh, uh, a church of a worshiping church, worshiping God in prayer and in praise, in setting the example for us, isn't it? Setting the example for us today, verse 43. Verse 43, everyone was filled with what? Filled with awe. Filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. What does it mean they were filled with awe? The Bible defines this. Now, the New, Interma New International Version, uh, sorry, New American Standard Bible says this. Everyone kept feeling this sense of awe. It was a continual feeling. And the Bible defines this sense of awe, uh, this sense of awe, this sense of reverence to God as the fear of the Lord. Psalm 33, verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all 
stand in awe of him. The sense of awe in God's holy presence. It's a worshipful respect. It's a worshipful reverence. It's understanding God's power to judge and his power to save. A sense of awe. Our God is an awesome God. Amen? He's an awesome God. And they knew it. And the church was worshiping an awesome God. An awesome God. The, the church was worshiping him in awe. You know, even secular psychologists today recognize the human need to live with a sense of awe. They might have a little bit of a different understanding or not, maybe not a complete understanding as we do. But psychologists today understand we live, the human beings live with a sense of awe. Now, there is an awesomeness in creation. Creation, the awesomeness creation reveals the awesomeness of the creator, amen? Now, in an article by a well-known award-winning author, David Hotchman, he writes about the topic, the subject of awe, and his topic is titled, The Wonder of It All. And he says this. He begins his article by saying this. Somewhere at the intersection of joy, fear, mystery, and insight lies awe. The ineffable response to the amazing world around us. He goes on to clarify his definition of awe. He says it's overwhelming, surprising, humbling, and even a little terrifying. Awe is what we feel when we're faced with something sublime, exceptional, altogether beyond our comprehension. Awe. He quotes a University of California psychologist who says this. He studies the subject of awe extensively, and he says this. He believes that cultivating awe is the part of unlocking the truest sense of life's purpose. In other words, it's something we're meant to experience. Psychologists recognize this. Hotchman goes on to give some tips on how to cultivate a sense of awe. He says among these tips, he says, this, number one, go outside. The ultimate in awe is the beauty and wonder of nature. Amen? This is true. Number two, have an ecstatic, listen now, careful on this one, an ecstatic social experience. Go, wait a minute, let me get to my place here. Well, oh, this is so good. <laughs> Go to a rock concert <laughs> or a political rally. Okay. <laughs> Number three, look up at the night sky. Better yet, buy a telescope. A sense of awe. Having a, having a sense of the awesomeness of God. Now, this article, these are all good ideas. No, no, these are all good ideas. Well, good idea. Depending on what kind of rock concert you want to go to. That was a joke. <laughs> a sense of awe. sense of awe. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. These are good, but they all fall short of the ultimate. The ultimate awe that we're made for. Viewing, viewing God's creation and other earthly experiences are just a reflection just a reflection of the sense of awe that we are meant to experience when we worship the awesome God. Amen? 
Worship him. Be awesome in awe. All of his awesomeness. In his majesty. In his glory. In his awesomeness. Worshiping God in prayer and in praise with reverence and in awe. A healthy church is a church that worships. Worships the awesome God. So we've looked at the two things so far. A healthy church is a devoted church. A healthy church is a worshiping church. And three, third, the third characteristic is this. A healthy church is a loving church. A loving church. God's love permeated these people. This group of believers, it permeated them. They, they had a sense of generosity in their heart. They felt a, felt a responsibility to one another, verse 45. Verse 45 says this. Now, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Can you imagine that? I mean, this is some generous people. They, they were wanting to fulfill Jesus' command. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another. Love one another as I have loved you. By this all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. The love. Uh, the third characteristic of a healthy church is loving church. It's a loving church. They were obeying Christ's command by giving of themselves to one another. That's what love does. Love gives of itself to others in care for others. The whole idea of giving out of love originated with God. God loves us so much he gave us a gift of life. God loved us so much he gives us all that we have to enjoy in life. God loved us so much that he gives us eternal life to those who put their faith in Jesus. A healthy church is a loving church. And now God was showing them his love. Dr. Dr. Belazakian said in his New Testament studies class that these Christians in Acts chapter 2, he says, and I quote, took off their masks and shared their lives with each other. Not only were they sharing their lives with each other, they were sharing Jesus' love with each other. As they shared Jesus' love with each other, their hearts were filled with joy. Verse 46 and 47. Their hearts were filled with joy. Let's take a look. It says, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all people, all the people. There was a joy. There was a gladness in their heart. There was a generosity, a joy, and a, and a gladness. This is a characteristic God wants for all Christians. All Christians to have joy, generosity, and a gladness. This model church was modeling for us what God wants for us as a healthy church. Now, what does that look like? What does that look like? They had glad and sincere hearts. What does that look like? Well, I'm sure there was a lot of smiles on their faces. And I'm sure there's a lot of laughter. A lot of laughter going on. You know, David Brooks, some of you might know that he's on the PBS NewsHour. He's a, a commentator. We love him. My wife and I like watching him Friday nights. He wrote a book called Social Animals. 
And in that one section in that book, he talks about laughter. He talks about la- and specifically laughing by yourself, but more importantly, laughing with others. And he says this. He, he quotes another researcher that says, when people are in, in a bonding situation, in other words, when they're in a, in a relationships, uh, they're bonding together, he says, laughter just flows. He says, there, it's not exactly laughing at hilarious punchlines. Instead, laughter seems to bubble up spontaneously amidst conversation when people feel themselves responding to the same emotional positive circumstance. Uh, laughing together. It's like it's a natural thing to do. When you're with some other, or you're with others, and you're having the same emotionally positive circumstance, and there's no more emotionally positive circumstance than rejoicing in the Lord. Amen? They're rejoicing in the Lord. You know, I do a security watch. Did you know I do security watch? <laughs> Tuesday night. Tuesday night, the, the, the women's Bible study. Have the women's Bible study at the, uh, in the conference room. And I, I just go for security. I just go to be there. Uh, and so I usually hide out in my office when they're having their Bible study in the conference room. But, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, I think about that, they're always, I can tell they're having a good time because they're always laughing. They're always laughing. They're enjoying, enjoying being with each other, enjoying sharing with each other, enjoying talking about God's word with each other, laughing together. You know, and when non-believers see that, when they see the sincerity of love, they see the joy, they see the laughter, it's gonna, it, it draws them to want to know what you got. What do you got? It draws people, it it, it will lead to lead them to the Lord, verse 47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The sincerity, the gladness. You see, it says the Lord added to the number. Not man, this was not a work of man, this is a work of God. The Lord added to the number. Jesus once told Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. Jesus has a mission to build his church. Amen? We are on mission to build Jesus' church. That's the, that's the goal. That's Jesus, what Jesus wants us to do. Be the best witnesses that you can be, I can be, to build Jesus' church. What does that mean? It means loving, loving all who come in the doors of our church. It means, it, it, it means loving them with a heart, a glad and sincere heart. Making, uh, making sure, making a point to greet our guests with love. And I know, with love. And I know you do that. I just want to encourage you to do it even more. It, it means, it means uh, uh, inviting a friend to church. And it's such a blessing to me to see that happening. Several of you have been doing that, inviting friends to church. It means, it means being a winsome Witness in church and out of church. The, listen to this now. The winsome, winsome. Okay? The winsome, winsome. A healthy church. A healthy church. A healthy church is a loving church. What we've seen in the scripture this morning is this the model of a healthy church. A healthy church is a devoted church. Devoted to the teaching of the word, the fellowship of the believers, and the breaking of bread. A devoted church 
A, a healthy church is a worshiping church, worshiping through prayer and praise, worshiping with a sense of awe, God's awe of his holy presence. A healthy church is a loving church. Dr. Belazekia said this, those who had shared freely, those who had shared freely with those who had less. There's a, there a joy in giving, giving with the love of the Lord. The love and joy, his love and joy are contagious. They're contagious. It draws people. It draws people to want to know what you got. It draws people to want to know Jesus. Bill Belazakian said about this Acts chapter 2 church, they were a community of believers that offered themselves, uh, offered unbelievers a vision of life so beautiful that it took their breath away. Let us strive to continue to be that church Christ calls us to be. A church where Jesus is seen in his believers. A church where unbelievers are drawn to the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this blueprint uh, of your church of what you want your church to be. Help us, Lord, Lord Jesus, to, to be just this, Lord. Help us to, 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 to function as you uh, desire 